Today's sponsor is Stamps.com. Avoid trips to the post office. Use Stamps.com to buy and print official U.S. postage right from your computer. Go to Stamps.com today and sign up for a special offer. Click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in decode. Today is also sponsored by Audible.com, which has more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio products. Get a free audiobook of your choice at Audible.com slash decode. Recode Radio presents Recode Decode, hosted by Kara Swisher, powered by digital media. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, executive editor of Recode. You may know me as the creator of the Swisher Initiative, which is an LLC for donating all my money to myself. But in my spare time, I talk tech, and you're listening to Recode Decode, a podcast about tech and media's key players, big ideas, and how they're changing the world we live in. Today in the red chair is Mark Lore, the CEO of Jet.com. Mark spoke with Recode's senior commerce editor, Jason Del Rey, about how Jet is trying to beat America's biggest online retailer, Amazon. And that's no easy feat. Here's Jason. Thanks, Kara. And happy holidays, Mark. Thanks for coming on the show. Thrilled to have Mark Laurie. Did I get that pronunciation right? That's correct. CEO of Jet.com, previously the co-founder and CEO of Quidzy, which a lot of people might know better as the parent company of Diapers.com. So welcome. Thanks Thank for coming you, in today. So much to talk about. I mean, big, big ambitious bet with Jet. Well, I want to talk about Amazon, your Amazon days and selling to Amazon in a bit. But let's start in the present. Holiday season, so... Appreciate you. Uh, this is, I'm assuming, your busiest time of year right now with Jet. You've raised a ton of money. I don't know what's public now, but let's say, let's throw, let's say, 700 million or something around That's that. Fair. Yep. That's fair. Okay, four months or five months after launch, a big online shopping site that a lot of people think wants to take on Amazon. What? Explain to me what you're thinking here. Why you aren't crazy to to go after Amazon? Uh, with a, with a shopping site of your own. Yeah, we certainly don't think it's a winner-take-all market e-commerce. Uh, we're $300 billion online today, but it's still early days. So over the next decade, it's going to grow from $300 billion to about a trillion dollars. And we think there's room for many very large players. Certainly in the offline world, you have nine companies with greater than a $50 billion market cap. So, so you're talking about brick-and-mortar. Brick-and-mortar. Retail stores. Yeah, and, and really... Now, today, there's really no, as you said, number two uh, in e-commerce in the U.S., and we think there's a really big opportunity. And certainly, if you look to China, um, JD.com is clear number two now to Alibaba. You know, five years ago, they were sort of nowhere on the map, and today they're a $40 billion market cap company. I think, you know, just given the sheer size of the market, there's opportunity for more than one player. Okay, so Jet, for people who don't know, Jet.com is a, is a shopping site where you can buy anything from... Toys to tools to TVs to TV, toilet paper to toy. We're <laughs> going to stick all, with the T's. We're going to stick with the T's. Cereal. I mean, you're 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 trying to be nine million products today. In nine growing. nine million products today. Okay, and um, with an assortment that you hope someday reaches something you would find. I mean, a catalog that's Amazon esque, or at least yeah. I think. I mean, we're um, you know signing up thousands of merchants. And we'll continue to do that over the coming years. And yeah, we would expect to have the the full assortment of product. And the initial model was, so the model, well, we'll talk about whether the model has shifted or not. But the initial pitch to me was consumers are going to pay $50 a year. They're going to get upfront discounts on products. And then if they smart, if they shop smarter by building bigger baskets that are more efficient orders, 
they can get additional discounts. Is that is that a fair explanation of what the initial pitch? Yeah, I, th- yeah, the- I think I think the core value proposition is just what you said. It's around uh, empowering consumers to shop smarter to save money and pull shipping and fulfillment costs out of the overall ecosystem. And at the same time, allow retailers on the platform to sell in a smarter way so that they could make more profit than they would on, on another marketplace. Because again, we're pulling supply chain costs out. Okay. So practically the supply chain part, I think, um, I think might get, might go over the head of some people. And, and I think probably did on for myself initially, what is that? What is that actually? What what is inefficient in e-commerce today, and what were you, what are you trying yeah. to? So, if you look at uh, traditional marketplaces like an Amazon or eBay or, or Rakuten, um, they take a very product-centric approach, whereby there's a certain product that all the retailers are bidding for the lowest price on. Whoever has the lowest price wins the buy box and gets most of the volume. But there's Sale, no, sales volume. Most of the sales volume. But there's yep. no regard to the underlying shipping cost to get that product to the consumer. So let's take the very basic example where that retailer that wins the so-called buy box is in the West Coast and the customer's in the East Coast. Customer sees retail with cheapest price, I'm going to buy from them. Well, it takes a week to get it to you, and the retailer that shipped it to you probably lost money on that order because they shipped it across the country. There might have been a retailer that was didn't have the lowest price, but had they known that the customer was down the street from them, could have said yes, I'll bid lower in this particular case. So that works. It's easy to see how it works on a single product. When you start thinking about the complexities around building a smarter basket, it gets that much more complicated because if the consumer is picking the retailer they want to buy each product from in a basket, the chances the consumer picked the optimal retailer or combination of retailers to fulfill that basket is, is pretty low. And so on Jet, we pick the retailer for the customer once we know the composition behind of the basket. The scene, behind, behind the, the scenes. scenes. When you get to check out, we're looking at that basket. We know where you live as a customer. We know where all the pools of inventory exist. And we're trying to get those things from a common inventory pool in close proximity to you. That was sort of the basis for the, for the uh, original technology build. We took it a step further. And I think this is a lot of where the magic of Jet comes in. We actually... Um, are able to do this calculation in real time as a consumer shops to actually steer them toward more economically efficient orders. Um, and, and just to give you an example, to illustrate it, let's say you had a, a bag of dog food in a dog bowl in your basket, and now you search for a dog leash. 24 leashes come up. In less than a second, we're basically pricing each of those 24 baskets, each leash with what's in your basket, to calculate the marginal cost of shipping the leash to you. If the leash can ship in the same box close to you with what's right. in your basket, the marginal cost to ship is nearly zero. If it has to ship separately, it costs another $5. Right. So, and so we're showing so, the customer. So you're trying to get customers to package package items together in single orders to save, to save money. On the back end, you're trying to find the most efficient way to get that to them to strip out costs. Yes. That- and there's no complexity brought to the shopping experience because... All you're seeing as a customer is here's my price and here's what we call a smart cart bonus. Yep. And those smart cart bonuses are sort of like think of them as real time coupons. Those coupons, you know, increase if uh, you're pulling more costs out of the system and decrease if you're pulling less out. And so all you need to do is take that coupon into account when you're making your purchase decision. And we're seeing that customers are in fact buying items with these smart card bonuses. They're sorting and filtering by smart card. It's working. They're actually building bigger, not only bigger orders, but smarter orders. 
Um, and we're seeing, you know, over five units per order. And we're seeing um, much smarter orders as well. Yep. So, okay. So let's let's back up for a second and talk about um, the initial proposition also involves uh, customers paying $50 a year to get sort of great lowest prices on the web to start. And then this would these additional savings would be icing on the cake. You decided before you even started to ask people to pay that $50 that you were you were going to scrap that plan. Yeah. There's a lot of media coverage about this. A lot of people who, I mean, I think very clearly the sentiment in the press was this is a negative thing. They're changing their model so, so early. Yeah. You disagree with that. I do. Um, why did you eliminate sort of a core piece of what seemed like a core piece of the model yeah, so, th- so early. I think this is like for the reasons you said about the, the negative sentiment in the press is always a tough decision to make. Um, I think, you know, mature and public companies tend to change things when they're not working. And I think one advantage of being and some a, private companies and some private companies, that's yeah. fair. But, but I think one advantage of being sort of a nimble, um, startup is that you have the opportunity to make changes when you see an opportunity that's better than the one that you thought. And that's simply what happened in this case. Basically, the numbers supported the fact that the business model worked a lot better without the membership fee. That we didn't think that we'd be able to acquire customers as cheap as we are without that extra discount from having the membership fee. And so, cheap, should I put cheap in quotes when you talk about how cheaply you're acquiring customers? Cheaper than we would have imagined, yes. So a given customer costs you what? Uh, to t- every month it's coming down. We're now in the 40s. 40-something um, $40 like, dollars. Yeah, below 50. We're below 50 now. Whereas two months ago we were 100, you know, and so it continues to come down. But um, the math works a lot better at prices that start at, parity with the market and get lower when you shop smarter than it does in the alternative case. Now we're going to take a quick break. Here's Kara with a word from our sponsor, Stamps.com. Thanks, Jason. With the holidays almost here, you probably have even less time now than ever to go to the post office. Traffic is crazy, parking is limited, and the post office will be packed with your entire city trying to mail gifts and packages all at once. Well, the good news is that anything you can do at the post office, you can do right from your desk with Stamps.com. Buy and print official U.S. postage for any package or letter using your own computer and printer the instant you need it. Right now, sign up for Stamps.com and use the promo code DECODE for this special offer. A four-week trial plus a $110 bonus offer, including postage and a digital scale. Just go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in DECODE. It's that simple. Go to Stamps.com and use the promo code DECODE to get started today. Thanks, Kara. So let's get back to this cutting the $50 fee. You you mentioned it's not an easy decision. Um, Investor, you have a lot of investors. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm assuming it wasn't a clear cut, everyone rah-rah supporting this. Can Can you explain sort of were there different camps and what were people, if there were people who weren't a fan of the idea, what they, what, what was the fear? Yeah, I think in the end, uh, everyone was comfortable. I think certainly in the beginning, anytime there's, you know, uh, a change that quickly, people are going to question it. I think that's only natural. I think some people got it and were really excited by the change. Others were needing more convincing. 
Um, but I think everybody's comfortable with it. Certainly, if you just look at the financials, we need less capital. We're going to burn less capital to get to scale, and the market size than you had planned. Than you had planned. Than we originally planned. Yeah. Um, better margins, need less capital, and um, the market size is now like kind of three times larger than we thought because we only assumed a third of the people that we got in would actually pay for the membership. Um, and the other thing that we learned too which made it even that much easier decision was that there were a lot of brands and retailers that were that were more uh, premium in nature um, that we weren't necessarily thinking uh, we could win and get on Jet Platform. And it turned out that they really appreciated our brand-friendly approach, retailer-friendly approach, and the fact that we were sharing customer information, that we weren't competing with them, and the only issue that some of these guys had was the fact that the prices were starting low. Right. And that's what, by that's bringing what, them back to parity, it unlocked new opportunities that we didn't think. That's what kept. That's what made me think that you were that you were pressured by brands to to make this move. Because I, what might not be clear is um, the fifty dollar fee was somewhat associated with starting out with. Even even lower prices than you might find elsewhere on the web, and uh, so I so I thought you might have. Yeah. I my assumption was you were pressured by some brands that didn't appreciate. I think we st- always. I mean, we always knew because I've been in retail for a long time. We always knew that there were the sort of more premium, especially brands wouldn't uh, like the business model. But that wasn't sort of the model. We didn't really think that there was an opportunity to get those guys anyway. When we did realize that there was an opportunity to get brands that aren't on other marketplaces. Um, that was a nice added benefit of, of sort of changing it. But that was really uh, a secondary sort of part of the decision. Yep. So so let's fast forward to today and what the model you have now. So the discounts, the, the savings might not be as steep for a customer as they were when they were paying $50 a year. Um, so now it seems to me the big challenge that I'm still having – trouble getting wrapping my head around is to retrain in some cases millions of people to shop you call it shopping smarter uh some people might say shopping more complicated which is coming to the site knowing with the intent to buy one thing and and you all trying to get them to buy multiple things to save let's say i don't know five to ten percent five percent instead of with the fee, ten to fifteen percent, or something like mm-hmm. that. So that seems like that seems like a really, really tough thing to do in the age of in Amazon and Amazon Prime and um, sort of the efficiency of that machine. What is there? What am What am I missing in this? No, I think I think there's a really large percentage of the population that um, care about saving money, and we make it very easy for people to save money and we're not asking them to do a lot of work it's it's very straightforward it's like i said it's just an online coupon people are very familiar with e-coupons some products have them some don't obviously the products that have e-coupons do better than ones than when they don't have it and the same concept here we're just popping up these smart cart bonuses which are really coupons and sometimes they're bigger sometimes they're smaller sometimes they exist sometimes they don't but they represent the true cost savings of picking one product over another uh, based on the differential in 
shipping and fulfillment costs. So all this heavy lifting is being done in the back, and there's a lot of like mathematics, you know, uh, behind the scenes. But from a consumer standpoint, I think we've seen that people like the gamification. They like the fact that when they add something to a basket, it says, "Hey, you've just unlocked savings now on forty thousand products." And then you go to shop, and here are these smart cart uh, bonuses on some products. And then you add something, and then they smart cart bonuses get bigger on other things. And um, so, so who is who is the target customer? I mean, you obviously you want this to be a mass, you know, a mass reaching it's, it's, yeah. site. I've made the argument in some, maybe one or two of my pieces um, that I don't think Amazon Prime members will, how, however many of them there are. Let's say, I don't want to use the Amazon vague tens of millions. Uh, I don't know. We'll pick out a number. Let's say 30 million in yeah. the U.S. Okay, say 30 million. Um, what does that leave? 80 million, 90 million households that uh, in the U.S.? Right. Now, how many of those are shopping? So so let, let's just go. Who, who is the target? Is is there a target customer? And- I mean, we're definitely the brand personality and voice is targeting millennials. Okay. In the broadest sense, you know, there's about 90 million millennials in the u.s if you sort of take the widest definition so we're certainly from a brand I make personality the perspective I think, by one year <laughs> i don't look it i have gray hair a kid at home <laughs> so we're certainly you know the, the brand's positioned that way yep. um but in terms of you know it cuts across um geography it cuts across income levels it really is the type of person that and this happens again at all income levels and in, in geos um, type of person that wants to feel like they're doing the right thing for their family. They're shopping smarter and saving money. They're not um, wasting money. They're not basically uh, paying for convenience that's not necessary. I think that's is that, that is that an, are, are you referencing Amazon Prime without referencing? Amazon no, no, just Prime? just meaning if you don't shop smarter, if you shop by buying one product at Dumb. a time or to <laughs> if it's not efficient from a money standpoint is certainly benefit uh to the convenience of being able to do that but it's just a different type of customer that we're going after um so that so so that leads me to my next question which is around you've been very transparent about uh how much marketing spend the company uh feels it needs i think i think the numbers you're quoting now is something like 22 and a, on average 22 and a half million a month or something mm-hmm which for a young company to a lot of people seems crazy. And I've seen some of the outdoor billboards, New York City, San Francisco, uh, I think the whole Muni line. Um, Is that, that seems like, so those specific campaigns seem like targeting, I'm going to paint a broad stroke, but targeting people who big cities like convenience. Um, what What should I think about what the, you know the goals of the uh, of of the early marketing campaigns. Yeah, the, is the, and, and I think the outdoor and the TV is definitely um, just providing cover for a lot of the direct marketing stuff that we do. Whether it be what do you sorry what, what you know, do you like mean by display, cover? Uh, Google PLAs, direct mail. The conversion rates on all that stuff is a lot higher if you've seen it. Whether it be TV or outdoor, and so they sort of work together to support each other. Got it. You also yeah. get to tell a little bit more of the brand story yep. through outdoor and TV that you can't really do through, you know, PLAs, for example. Got it. So yeah, so I was, I was, I guess I was trying to get at. I would imagine city. I, I would imagine prime. You know, keep going back to prime. Sorry, yeah. but 
By the way, are you a prime? Are you a prime member? I was. You <laughs> did it lapse yet or a lapse soon? Yeah, I'm, let's just say I'm doing. I'm doing. You know, most of my shopping on Jet now. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, so, on on the on the line of uh, discussion around around marketing spend, people see how much you've raised, see how much you're spending a month on marketing. What and you've talked about the. The opportunity is big, so you need to get to scale quickly or you want to get to scale quickly. Can you explain why, I mean, very simply, why so much paid marketing so so quickly is a smart decision for you versus perhaps trying a more organic approach? Yeah, it's just, I mean, it just comes down to looking at the numbers. It's that it's that simple. Um if you think you about, about return on investment of the marketing, well, or, or well yeah, there's the unit economics of the actual investment, making sure that you're able to acquire a customer at a, at a reasonably attractive price. I think most companies aren't in the size of the market that we're operating in, and so to spend twenty million a month and do that with a good unit economics is probably nearly impossible. You know, if you try to do that, like if I tried to do that in uh, diapers.com. When you're just going after the baby market and try to spend twenty million a month, it wouldn't work. You'd just oversaturate the market, and your cost to acquire a new buyer would go through the roof. Right here, we're, we're spending, you know, like you said, in the low twenties a month, and we're able to do it at a month over month decreasing cost to get a new buyer, and at an absolute rate that's super attractive relative to the lifetime value. And so you have that um, combined with the fact that. You know, to have a mass site with millions of SKUs and relationships with thousands of retailers and all these categories to manage, you have a much larger fixed overhead to build that infrastructure, build the technology. And that's a constant burn that's happening every month, whether you get customers or not. And I think, you know, you just need to take that into consideration. My, my rule of thumb is, is to spend at least two times your fixed uh, burn a month in marketing. Just to get that leverage on this expense that you that you have, um, and so if we, you know, basically let's say we, we just relied on word of mouth, and we were growing nicely, and instead of getting, you know, to a billion, you get to a, a hundred million run rate. Well, maybe to get there, you spent, you know, a hundred million dollars in overhead. Then you look at the math on that, and it's like that's that doesn't really make a lot of sense. We're going to take another quick break right now. Here's Kara again with a word from our sponsor. Audible.com. Thanks, Jason. If you're always on the go like myself and don't have time to sit down and read, Audible.com is a great source to be able to catch up on the latest bestsellers. Listen to it while on the road or at the gym. Audible.com is a leading provider of premium digital spoken audio information and entertainment on the internet. Audible content includes more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio products. Audible carries audiobooks in every genre imaginable. Business, classics, history, and self-development, just to name a few. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook of your choice and a free 30-day trial membership. Just go to audible.com slash decode and choose from over 180,000 audio programs. Download a title free and start listening. I am not listening to anything written by Donald Trump. It's that easy. Go to audible.com slash decode. That's audible.com slash decode and get started today. Thanks, Kara. Back here with Mark Lori, CEO of Jet.com. So spending a ton on marketing... Uh, but you think in a in a very smart way. That's all relative to the opportunity. To the opportunity, yeah. I mean, to the size of the market that is. I mean, this is going to be a trillion dollar market in ten years, 
That's e-commerce in the U.S.? It will be in 10 years, yeah. And the offering of Jet, um, you know, is open to any household in America, just about. There's not that many businesses that are truly like, yeah, any household in America right now, if they see a commercial, could use the service or the product. There's not that many companies that are that broad in, in, in nature. So it's, it's, it's all, it's, it's, a rel- it's relative terms. You know? Yep. Um, have you been, so, so you ran diapers.com, it was a different time. Um, I'm assuming the business and tech coverage was a bit different back then. Uh, underdog. Now, so we're, we're in a time right now where the topic of valuations of private companies has become a hot topic. I, w- I want to say in some ways, People have some people have looked at Jed as poster child for crazy investments and valuations in young companies. Um, valuation in your most recent five hundred million dollar plus investment round is somewhere a billion pre money, a billion before before the investment money yeah. goes in. Um, you think it? I, I know you think this valuation makes a lot of sense. Uh, Based on how much you raised, right? And you think people don't? What, what, what is what is your thought process on why people should not look at? <laughs> I, I don't a, think you could look at valuations. I think a lot of people look at valuations independent of the amount of money raised, and so not all valuations are created equal. You really need to look at how much is raised. If we raised, you know, fifty million dollars right now at a billion pre, I would tell you I think that's crazy, because you know you need to be able to to put the money to work to create enough asset value to get a step up in valuation that warrants the risk that investors are taking. And so if people are going to come in at a billion pre, they call it a 1.5 billion post, you have to see a path. And I think with early stage series B investments, you, you have to see a path in 12 to 18 months to see a 2x step up. That's kind of how I, kind of as a rule of thumb again. So if you think about a 1.5 billion post, you want to do the next round at, let's say, a $3 billion pre or something. That would be like a, a great, great return. I'm not saying you have to hit that because even any step up would be great. But I'm saying, but like, see a way toward that. This is like, see a way toward that. And if you have raised $50 million, I'd say, well, there's no way to get, how do you get there then? You, you, you know, you're going to spend a $4 million bucks a month and you're not going to get the growth and the GMV to warrant that. If you raise $500 million, and you put and spend thirty million dollars, you know, low twenties a month in marketing, thirty million a month, and you see how much GMV you can build to, how you can get the company, the asset value, and then you look at that math and you say, yeah, you know, that's believable. That's certainly possible. And so I think it, it does. It does depend on what you do with the money and how much money you've raised and where you can ultimately get the company to. Um, so I don't think you could look look at them independently. Got it. So this money will will last you how long? This will last us until yeah, like fall of seventeen. Okay. At which September point? At which point? September seventeen. At which point? Who knows? At which point you'll you'll go out and raise more. I more think money. it's just like I mean we'll be in a spot then where we won't need to raise money. Uh, I think we'll be in a really good spot. So you know I think because. One thing I've always wondered when you're talking about acquiring customers and the cost going down, this can you be confident of you know your your models for lifetime value of a customer and all those things when you're only a four month old company? 
yeah, you can I would I can't say yeah, you're confident, but I think we're confident within a certain range. So, you know, yet to be determined whether we're in the middle, the bottom, or the top of that range. But even at the bottom of that range, it's still a great investment because it's costing us, you know, let's say fifty dollars to get a customer, and the lifetime profit range is well north of that, even the bottom end of that range. And so when you look at the IRR, return on investment, it looks really attractive. And even having, by the way, you know, four or five months of, of cohort data tells you a lot. You know, again, it, it's sort of... Um, so you've had, so in the past, um, so, so you ran, you ran diapers.com. Um, Brad Stone, another journalist, has a great book, uh, The Everything Store, which sort of details... What he what he says is uh, some of the details of that acquisition by Amazon. Point being, Amazon, by a lot of accounts, tried to put pressure on Diapers.com and Quidzy before acquiring it. Do do you think they're not paying attention to this? Do you hear from? Does Jeff Bezos send you nice handwritten holiday cards in the mail? I haven't um, had too much time talking to those guys since since the launch. Okay. What, what do you think about, I mean, what do you think specifically about the competitive landscape and I think they would mar- say other- I think they would say this, there's plenty of room for more than one player. Um, just as I'm saying here, the market's massive. And I don't think, you know, they certainly intend to have, you know, 100% share of the trillion dollar market in 10 years. How um, will your delivery – so another thing is delivery speeds. Some of the stuff you stock yourself, <laughs> consumable items that – household items that people use might want the next day, like toilet, toilet paper. Where are those delivery times at? How much faster will they get? And how, you know, how much better job – do you have to compete on immediacy um, long term to – Yeah, I think right now, Jet Today, as we stand, is the fastest uh, – shipping retailer out there next to Amazon Prime. So the fastest... Based on your own data? or Well, just based on the way the model works, which is a best of. So if you take any one individual retailer, they have their inventory where they have it. Three pools, two pools, five pools. We have, you know, today, over a thousand pools of inventory. And when we're figuring out that basket, what is the optimal way and cheapest way to get the basket to you, it correlates highly to distance which means faster ship times. So is by definition a marketplace that's optimizing for minimizing ship distance among a thousand pools of inventory is going to be faster than any one individual retailer. That's, you know, I think by definition. And then with respect to the consumables in our warehouses, we're now at the point just now in the last week or so where we're nearly a hundred percent in stock on all the consumables in, in, in 3DCs. And as sorry, break that down for people. So, your three distribution centers are 100%. Yeah, nearly 100% in stock on all the everyday essentials that we want to carry. And so we are uh, about 99% to business day delivery nationwide and about 50% of the country overnight on your everyday essentials. And over the next 12 months, we'll continue to increase the number of cities that we do overnight as well to so continue to push it up from 50. So... In most cases today, if you buy in everyday essentials, you're going to get the stuff in one business day. I mean, yeah. the majority of the people, so just over 50%, and the rest in two days. 
One other thing I wanted to run by you is your, your office is based in Hoboken, New Jersey, which is kind of rare for fast-growing, highly valued startup. Why Hoboken, especially when you consider how millennials don't like to go anywhere outside of the big city? Well, we're right on the water, you know, five-minute walk from the Pat Station, so it's actually, you know, more convenient of a commute coming downtown Manhattan to Hoboken than it is going from downtown to uptown New York City. So I don't think we've lost anyone due to the commute from New York City. It's obviously very convenient for people coming from New Jersey, like myself and some of the other key members of the executive team. Uh, We're paying half the rent that we would to get a similar space in in New York City. We've got a nicer view. (laughs) Um, And we have the ability to expand. We have 40,000 square feet now, and we have other floors that open up to us so mark laurie always great (laughs) chatting thanks for coming in thank you back to you cara thanks jason for that fascinating interview if you enjoy the interview as much as i did be sure to subscribe to the show be first to listen to future episodes or catch up on previous episodes including some really fantastic interviews with dick costello valerie jarrett and brian chesky just to name a few all on recode.net slash decode one of the best ways to support our show is to help us improve and all you have to do is tell us a little bit about yourself. Take a short three-minute survey at recode.net slash podcast survey and help us by sharing your opinions on this show and how you listen to podcasts in general. Tell us how you really feel. The better we know you, the better the show can be. We always love hearing from you. Take a survey at recode.net slash podcast survey. And don't forget that Recode Decode is now twice a week. Every Monday, I'll be here with a riveting guest in the red chair and Lauren Good of The Verge to discuss whatever you're too embarrassed to ask about. Then every Thursday, the brilliant Peter Kafka chats with some of the top movers and shakers from the media world. Recode Decode, now twice a week. Coming up in a minute is my favorite tech guru, Lauren Good of The Verge, here to explain what some of our listeners were not too embarrassed to ask about improving the iPhone's battery life. But first, a quick message from our sponsors. Today's Too Embarrassed to Ask is brought to you by Audible.com, which has more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio products. Get a free audiobook of your choice at audible.com slash decode. Well, welcome, Lauren, once again. You'll never leave me, will you? Hi, Kara. How's it going? It's going pretty well today. Oh, so what are we going to talk about today? Today, we're going to talk about Apple's new smart battery case for iPhone 6 and 6S. So that's why it looks like your iPhone could lose a few pounds right now. Yeah, it's got a lot of junk in its trunk right now. All right, so Apple explain. decided to crash the Mophie party. Mophie party. Yeah, so people Is there are a Mophie party these... going on. I didn't know. Yeah, you have, okay. you've never been invited to the Mophie party. Never, and I'm pleased about. Well, that Well, that's situation. because you have a giant phablet. Okay, so All you right. have a giant phone, and you don't have to worry as much about battery life. But people who have smaller iPhones or smaller smartphones, sometimes they can't get through an entire day of battery life. Right. So um, well, you're super chatty, right? I mean, come on. It doesn't necessarily matter how much you're chatting. It could be how much you're browsing the internet or whatever. You're streaming video or doing all sorts of things all right. on your okay. phone. So you need and a so, you need a battery, a better battery. Yeah. Some people buy things like Mophie's or Lenmars yes. or Incipios. There, there's like this whole They're enormous. I carry an extra battery, battery that I plug in. That's what yeah, I do. Yeah, and then there's there's external battery packs. Who makes yours? The one that you carry around. I don't around? know. Whatever is some freebie I get from oh, yeah, we did whatever get idiot internet companies giving them out. Yeah, like, we give them out at the internet company. I get them at a lot of yeah. internet companies. I mean they're pretty useful. Yeah. And um, the, I have like one, 83 of them. This one yes. is made by Apple. Oh, well then. There we go. I must throw out all the others, apparently. There you go. 99 all right. bucks. All right. Okay. That's a lot of money. 
It is a lot of money, especially okay. for, for this case. Yes, it's, it's more expensive than free, but okay. Explain to me why I need to spend this money. Well, you don't. Okay. You should read my column more. Okay, Karen. go ahead. Come on. I, I want you to explain it here. <laughs> okay, we have a bunch of questions from readers, right, okay. too, we should answer about this. Okay, but um, right. So Apple's argument overall is that because it integrates directly with iPhone, um, it's, it's better. That's mm-hmm. what they say. It uses a lightning port for right. charging. So if okay. you have a lightning cable that so you're just already carrying in. around, which you inevitably are carrying around because your iPhone Sometimes dying. you need that, that other plug, the android kind sometimes of Sometimes you need a micro USB. Right. In this case, you just need a lightning cable. All right. Um, also, you can see how much battery life is left on the case from mm-hmm. the iPhone's screen. Okay. So some battery cases or battery packs have external, you know, like little lights that show you approximately how charged the thing is. Mm -hmm. This is like you swipe down from the iPhone's home screen into the notification center and it will say the case is charged 76% and your iPhone's X percent. So this is life... Life is better with Apple, like they say about their mail product, which isn't. But anyway, we're going to also bring in Ina Free, yes, who I'm covers so mobile for us. Okay. And she's going to also be taught. You're going to answer together, right? Correct? Welcome, Ina. Hey, good to be here. Yeah, I just uh, couldn't resist when I, when I saw this case today. I mean, as Lauren said, it provides two things that most of these cases don't. It can use a lightning connector because Apple's making it. And there is a little indication on the screen. But man, that design. And they've man. been getting panned all over the web. They should. It's fat. Um, you know, I just, Steve Jobs, you know, I know people are always saying what Steve Jobs would have done, but he hated cases to begin with. And Mm -hmm. I, I I can't believe he wouldn't have, uh, jabbed an Apple pencil through the eye of whoever designed this. Right. But what do you think, Lauren? It's very unattractive. So the first thought I had was, oh, okay, Apple's making a battery case. This is cool. And I got through an entire weekend with the case without Mm -hmm. having to even think about charging my phone. And I thought, that's great. But this this bump. Right. I mean, this bump, I said in my column, it looks like my iPhone 8 yes. and iPod. Yes. It's, so, it's, so I have one theory that could right. explain it and justify okay. it. If this is actually an iPhone 7 gestating inside the case, <laughs> that would be an it excuse. It looks like it's pregnant. So, yeah, it looks like next, a pregnant iPhone. If next March a yeah. new iPhone pops out, then I will take back what I said about the design. I would throw this caveat. Okay. Apple generally doesn't do things for no reason, and I would suspect that this case is a prelude to something. I what? don't think they're just getting into the trying to take Mophie out. Right. There's no there's no benefit to Apple for that. So mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if they're playing with some idea around power that we don't understand or or birthing a new iPhone. Uh, okay, apparently. All right. So um it really is. I cannot wait for the teardowns. I know. It's just super unattractive. It's really fascinating. Usually a- Apple things are pretty. I mean, if you look at uh, some of the other designs out there, like a Mophie and all the they're other ones. They're not pretty either. They're not. They're really not attractive. And frankly, they're kind of tough to um, get on and off. It's tough to get the, yeah. Yeah, like yeah. They're nail breakers. Is this one easy to get on This off? one is a little bit easier. It actually bends at the top it here. It still looks difficult I know it's, for it's you. hard to get the, the full effect when you're oh listening on a podcast, but it kind of, the top of it sort of bends backwards, yeah. and that's where you slip the phone in. It's so unusually it's unattractive easier, for an Apple but, device. I have and that. it was also co-designed with the boutique retailer P in a Pod. So. <laughs> okay. Yes. All right. Okay. Yeah, this was actually made by a company down in Schmupertino named Crapple. Okay. All right. Okay. That is why this is designed. All right. Well, it's ugly. All right. So let's go from ugly. Um, Judd Waite uh, at Bringe4S. Is it bad as they say? Not even a full charge indicator on the interior? Laura? Um, okay. So yes. 
Yes and yes. That's basically the way to look at it. When I, when my phone, my iPhone 6S was down to 0%, it was totally dead, mm-hmm. and I popped it into the fully charged case, mm-hmm. I got just about a 75% charge before the case was depleted. I see. So if and you it lets you know the case is depleted. That is one know. of the issues with those batteries. You never know. Except for some yeah. type of indicator light. But right. Yeah. So, um, so it doesn't get you a full charge. If you actually look at the milliamps that mm-hmm. are in this case. I don't know case, what that is. Why did you just bring versus, that word okay. into the situation? If you were to look at that compared with, say, some of the other competitors out there, right. th- there's less juice. There's less yeah. juice. It's a thing. smaller battery. In it's a sense, just, if Apple it. had taken up more space with the battery and not made it just a hump in the middle, right. you actually would have gotten like more the battery. Back of but they didn't want to cover the camera. Right. Um, and they didn't. They wanted it apparently to be thinner in places. No, well, it's not. It doesn't work. And then, in terms of the indicator on the interior, he is right. Um, so a lot of these cases will have some type of indicator light on the exterior. Like when you're charging it, it might turn from orange mm-hmm. to green to let you know that it's done charging. Mm-hmm. And if you look inside the case here, there's this tiny so little you have to take light it off. inside the case. Well, the idea is Can that you, use you would it on see the it on the software. It. You'd see, yeah. you know, versus yeah. this, but it's still kind of interesting. It's bizarre. That That's it's, bizarre. All right, yeah. Matt Carolinian M. Carolinian, whatever. Um, uh, Apple bought Beats. Why in the world did they not buy Mophie? Good question. That is a good question. I mean, but Apple really bought Beats for talent and mm-hmm. streaming music. Well, we're not clear why they, they bought needed. Beats at this moment. Right, right. This be- is what we think, right? Yes. And with Mophie, I mean, what... What are you getting with Mophie, except, I guess, the patents on a solid-backed battery case? Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting. Mophie, uh, and I'm going to date myself here, but they started out at Macworld, uh, and they had a design-your-own accessory contest. They started from nowhere. It was just a couple people. Um, and they did a ton of different, really interesting accessories before they kind of you know, became literally synonymous with battery charging packs. Mm-hmm. All right. So um, M. Jennings, at Real Frisco Kid. Oh, I like that name. My big question is, why does the iPhone get charged before the battery? That is just bad design. Okay, so that's a good question. That That actually depends on the kind of adapter you're using. Mm -hmm. So if you're using something like a 5-watt adapter, which is the standard little white adapter that comes with iPhone, Mm -hmm. um, it's going to actually – you're not getting as much energy, basically. It's not as strong of a current. So you're going to charge the – the fo- what is it? The phone first and the battery. Yeah, the phone first and then the battery case second. Um, if you're using a more powerful adapter, like a 10 or 12 watt adapter, it will actually charge both the iPhone and the case simultaneously. So, so. that's like what came with your iPad, as opposed yes. to what right. comes exactly. with the iPhone. Yeah, right. Exactly. Okay. All right. Um, this is just not getting great reviews. I got to tell you, people don't seem happy with it. Uh, also, again from M Jennings, real Frisco kid. Why do we have to go so far to find out if the battery is charged? Oh, again. So, so he just doesn't want to swipe down. I guess you do have to unlock the phone. I'm doing it right now as we do mm-hmm. this and swipe down from uh, into the notification center. Oh, my phone's frozen. It's it frozen. does seem like you could do it more simply. I mean, yeah. it is nice to have it on the screen, but again, you shouldn't have to hunt for it. Yeah, especially again with a, screen, but sort of with a company thing. that is well known for great design. That's, that's yes. an unusual thing. Yes, and an innov- and intuitive design. Intuitive. You know that you know you don't need a lot of. Figuring out. And I still yeah. think the category is a strange choice. This is a problem that was solved. I mean, most people, if you wanted Apple to do something about battery life, they're like, 
just build it slightly thicker. Don't make it right. thinner next time. Right. Use that extra space yeah. for battery. Yeah. Yep, I agree. I mean, this is, you know, on the one hand, this is a, a very nice way to give you the same experience that you might get with something like your phablet. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm an iPhone 6 user. You have a bigger phone. You get better battery life. Here we are. We're on even playing field now. Mm -hmm. um, on the other hand, it's a huge admission it's on the part heavier, of Apple yeah, to yeah. say, just for a lot of people, this is a real problem. Yeah, it is. All right, last question. At Vikram Bath one That's an interesting Interesting name. Hi, uh, I saw the new Apple battery case and have lost my ability to see beauty in the world. <laughs> I think you're holding it Any wrong. Any fixes? <laughs> I think you're holding it wrong. Yeah, right. Oh, that's an it old, should only that's an reduce old your controversy, Ina Fraid. Yes. Just put it under Don't your pillow, Vikram. Put yeah. the case under your pillow, and the Apple fairy will come in the middle of the night. When you wake up in the morning, it almost turns it into a zoom. It doesn't. It feel like it turns it into a zoom. Remember that? Zoom. Oh my goodness. A zoom. Wow. A zoom, I That's cold. I know. Really it's have cold. to go that low. Maybe it I know. Like an it ate a zoom. Yeah. It looks like it ate a zoom. It does. Yeah. I mean, is, is is beauty in the world gone that Apple can't design a pretty battery case? I don't know. I don't know. I'm, one of my coworkers saw the oh, white Johnny one today. Ive. What is and, going on? Because this this is the charcoal gray one, but there's also right. one in white. And one of my um, coworkers who has kids saw little kids saw the white one today and said it looks like a loaded diaper. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> and on that note, thank you so much, Ina Freed and Lauren Good. Another week of Too Embarrassed to Ask. And that was embarrassing, Lauren. <laughs> Next week, we'll be back with another Too Embarrassed to Ask. And we want to know what all of you may be too embarrassed to ask about. Please tweet me at Kara Swisher with your burning tech questions. Lauren, how can people reach you? At Lauren Good. That's good with an E at Twitter.com. I'm Lauren ATD on Snapchat, mm -hmm. or you can just tweet it as at Recode. At Recode. And if you want to hashtag it, use hashtag TETA. Thanks, Lauren. See you next week. And thanks to you for listening. This has been another episode of Recode Decode. We now have two new episodes every week. On Thursday, Recode's senior media editor Peter Kafka will be talking with Fox Sports personality Katie Nolan. And next Monday, I'll be back with Jeremy Stoppelman, CEO of Yelp, talking about a lot of things, including how evil Google has gotten. Tune in then. This has been Recode Decode, hosted by Kara Swisher, powered by digital media. For more hard-hitting interviews with insiders from the worlds of tech, media, and politics, subscribe to Recode Replay on iTunes, featuring candid conversations with leading voices like AOL CEO Tim Armstrong, Goldman Sachs' CIO Marty Chavez, the team behind the hit TV show Empire, Shark Tank investor Mark Cuban, and presidential candidate Hillary Clinton. They're all on Recode Replay.